so I'm going to warn you already, there's so much good stuff on this one that I, I'm going to have. It's going to be a challenge to keep it condensed. Condensed. That's okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Thickest Thieves. This is a podcast where we talk about art heists. We look at the investigation, why the thieves took the art, what happened afterwards, what the circumstances were, and everything else that we can think of in between. I'm Sarah. And I'm Veronica. So, let's get into it. Actually, first, let's talk about... Let's talk about some art news. Yeah, what's the latest in news? So I know that a Picasso was just found. A Mm -hmm. famous Picasso painting worth $28 million was found by the Indiana Jones of the art world, um, (laughs) Arthur (laughs) Brandt, a a Dutch man, I believe, who is very good at finding artworks that have been stolen. And so the story with this one is um, it's a portrait of Dora Maar, and I think the painting's called like Doramar something something. And it was in Picasso's house when he died. And then a Saudi Arabian collector bought it and then it was stolen and it was just recently recovered. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Cool. Well, another thing was, re- was recovered as well. And it was a Paul Signac piece. Mm. And it was stolen. A little while back, and it was in Ukraine, and the Ukrainian police, they were searching the home of a murder suspect in Kiev. And they're rifling through stuff, going through, going through, and suddenly they discover this missing painting. They're just rifling through the sock drawer. They're just just rifling through the panty drawer, and (laughs) there is a 1915 Paul Sinyak painting. It was stolen from... Oh, yeah. Oh, it was cut out of the frame from the Museum of Fine Arts in Nancy. Also known as Nancy. (laughs) Nancy, France. (laughs) I live in Nancy. (laughs) So we've got some things that are getting recovered. That's some good news. Yeah. How exciting. We're going to talk about another recovery. Yeah. You're you're up today. So let's hear it. What's what's going on? Okay. So this this is one of my favorite art heist. I hesitate to say it is my favorite. I would say it's in the top like five just because of all the details that are around this thing. So this is the art heist of Willem de Kooning's Woman Ochre. Mm. And it happened in 1985. The heist happened in 1985. All the new hubbub around it happened in 2017. So Everything that I'm about to talk about is the investigation that's happened within the last couple of years. Okay, so just to be clear, it was stolen in 85. Mm-hmm. It was... Went uh, missing without a trace. Okay, and then um, and then the story resurfaced just recently because it was... Was it found? Similar to yes. these other paintings yes. that we just started yep. off with? It was recovered in 2017. They have basically kind of researched it there's documentaries on youtube about it the story is really amazing and it was a cold case for a long time the painting was just gone they were like well we're probably never gonna find it so let me so what happened in 1985 okay so it's 1985 in tucson arizona Mm. at yeah this is one of your favorite places (laughs) i've never been there (laughs) but i know that there's something important about tucson um everybody we have had tucson on our 
best friends where to travel bucket list <laughs> for a long right. time. We've been wanting to, planning to go to Tucson. And why? <laughs> why do we want to go there, Sarah? Linda Ronstadt lives there. <laughs> Linda Ronstadt is her mom. <laughs> and we want to go to her hometown. This is a long story that would take um, some time to explain. So maybe maybe on a future podcast we'll explain this, why we so desperately need to go to Maybe Tucson. our Mother's Day episode. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, so we're in Tucson, 1985, and it is the day after Thanksgiving, hmm. Black Friday. So I'm, I'm picking up on a pattern that a lot of heists seem to happen right around the holidays. Yeah, I wonder why. I Maybe mean, people are just getting bold. People are getting desperate, depressed. What and also it? maybe because typically around the holidays, maybe the guards are a bit distracted mm. because of the holidays. So if it's like after Thanksgiving, you're you're still in that turkey coma state and <laughs> maybe not going to be as on the ball. Um, yeah. Or if it's like the Mexico City one was the night before Christmas and... Um, or it was like Christmas Eve when it happened. And mm-hmm. So I guess people are more distracted on holidays. Yeah, and maybe people are taking off work. They're going, they're traveling. So maybe there's not as, you know, thieves are assuming there aren't as many guards. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe that they can they? be, they they can sneak their ways through the crowds of tourists. I don't know. But Yeah. Well, this is, this is right in that pattern. So it's on Black, I don't know if Black Friday was a thing back then. Was Black Friday a thing? In the 80s? In, in 1985? Probably. Okay. Yeah. Did you know in Canada they have one too? But it's called something different. Oh, really? Yeah. It's called Boxing Day. Oh, I've heard of that day and I always (laughs) thought it was about boxing. (laughs) No, it's Black Friday for Canada. Okay. I don't know why they named I don't know why they named it. Because people fight to get something. Maybe, or maybe it's because products are in boxes. I don't don't know know about that. I (laughs) I think it's because people beat each other up to get things that are really cheap. Okay, so it's like fighting day, fist fighting day, mm-hmm. boxing day. Okay, so it is Black Friday in 1985, and we are at the University of Arizona Museum of Art. So it's a it's a college art gallery, small, quaint, not a ton of guards or security. There's no security cameras, or there weren't in the 80s at least. Yeah, well, yeah, not in this building. Um, and so a couple man and a woman they walk up to the building right before it opens so the gallery typically opens at 9 a.m um so they show up a little bit before as the guard is going in so there's there's a you know one guard on duty he's opening up the place they kind of they sneak in they they don't sneak in they just approach him as he's going into the door and of course he's like sure come on in like it's it's a gallery we're open to the public it's free you're a few minutes early no big deal Come on in. You've had this job before. Yeah. You worked at a university gallery. Totally. I would definitely let someone in. I am this guard. I would, you could just you were totally the guard. steal from me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would have let someone in, you know, if they were like, oh, we've come from, you know, we drove 20 minutes to, you know, come see this art. Can we just get in a little early? I'd be like, absolutely. Come but would on you in. keep a close eye on them? Um, I don't even know. I, if it was just like a couple, and this is like, I, they're in their mid-30s or something. They look very normal. Normcore. Normcore couple. 
and they come i'll actually talk about the description the description is actually important in this so we'll get into what the witnesses say these people looked like um so a couple comes in and the woman starts chatting up the guard starts talking to him while the man goes upstairs so the so the main part of the gallery is upstairs Mm. and then the kind of lobby entrance is is on the lower floor so they go in the woman chats up the guard guy goes upstairs and then a few minutes later the man comes down and he's got so he when he went upstairs he cut out the painting with a knife so didn't take off the didn't take the frame off the wall or anything cut out cut out the painting with a knife rolled it up put it in his jacket came downstairs and then the couple leaves so they were in the they were in the museum for a total of 15 minutes how big was the painting. So the painting is 30 by 40. So it's really not, it's not a huge painting. But it's, most of his, it's from the woman series that de Kooning did, right? Right. So this, so this painting is from 1954, 55. Yeah, it's right in the middle of his very, like one of his most important series or the ones that people like the most. Yeah. So part of the, how they valued this painting, um, it so the painting that they stole is supposedly worth 160 million dollars mm. now back then it was only four hundred thousand dollars it was appraised at four hundred thousand dollars now it's a 160 million because another um there's a painting called woman three mm-hmm. and that sold in 2006 for 137.5 million i remember yeah so it's these are some serious works of art mm-hmm. now back then i mean they were still really important works of art but they weren't that expensive. Right. But he was a big deal by the 80s. And, and this series is major. But I, most of the woman paintings are so large from my... I've seen them mm-hmm. in museums and such. So this was a smaller one. Yes. Do we want to... So I'll give you a little, like, kind of synopsis of who de Kooning is for people who maybe don't know. So he's maybe one of for the... For losers who don't know who de Kooning <laughs> is. <laughs> he is arguably one of the most important um, artists of the 20th century, I think. And he, him and Jackson Pollock mm-hmm. are kind of the fathers of abstract expressionism, which is arguably one of the most important art movements in the United States in the 20th century. Life magazine sure thought so. Yes, they did. The cover. Was yeah. he like the, one of the first artists? On, did they it was typically Pollock who was on the cover. But, yeah, yeah. But there is, you know, this complete um, embrace of abstract expressionism as like an American art form. Mm-hmm. And it was right when like baby boomers were booming. And so abstract expressionism became a part of that whole ethos in a way. It's not my favorite movement by any means, but it is a big part of Americans' art history. So, right or America's and Dukuni isn't even American. He's from he's the not, Netherlands. He's from the Netherlands, but he's basically. American. But he migrated here, and he, you know, worked hard and climbed the ladder and <laughs> became a starving artist and had That's a cool loft that at the time was super cheap, and today would cost like five million at least. So it's interesting to to think about that difference between then and now anyway yeah yeah so this woman series so abstract expressionism typically didn't have figures then de kooning comes in and he starts painting these women and they're kind of ghoulish they're like vampy (laughs) yeah i mean they're they're not like really it's not what i would call flattering no figures of women it's kind of harsh and 
intense and like really gestural and yeah, yeah. it's aggressive aggressive um, is a good word and underneath the paint uh he collaged a bunch of ads of women beautiful women in different advertisements and magazines are like collaged across the canvas and in many cases he would like cut out just their teeth and like paste mm. that onto the canvas and then paint over it and you know then the woman many of the women in the woman series um is they have like big eyes and teeth coming out and they're teeth like are very looking prominent. at you straight on like they're going nuts i mean de Kooning, definitely contributed to this culture of let's just say heterosexual men who when their girlfriends or whoever are not behaving the way they want them to they're like she's crazy mm -hmm. you know that whole I feel like de Kooning was saying that with his paintings in a way like <laughs> she's just fucking crazy yeah like look at these animalistic women yeah just coming at me <laughs> what did I do I slept with her best friend so what <laughs> <laughs> so this is definitely one of those paintings I yeah. mean, so if you if you guys out there want to google it, it it'll it'll be the first thing that pops up when you google woman ochre mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's one female figure with the teeth and the eyes and the aggression um so and once you look at it she'll haunt you for the rest of your life yes well yeah so so this the painting is stolen by this couple so they leave them they're in there 15 minutes guy steals the painting they dart they take off in a rust colored little two-door sports car that's really all that the police know of the story so when it's gone they have like a kind of newbie security guard that's there it's his he he had just gotten hired to do like the investigations on the campus or something like that. And mm. and he wasn't like very um, experienced in all of this stuff, but he tried to figure out who took it. Basically it just went nowhere. Case went cold and it just was silent mm -hmm. for a while until people start dying. So there's a couple in Cliff, New Mexico and Cliff is a tiny, tiny little New Mexican town and I mean, like blink and you miss it type place. Fewer than 300 people population. It's about 200 and something miles from Tucson. So it's, it's a little bit of a trek away. So in 2012, a man named Jerry Alter dies <clears throat> at the age of 81. And in 2017, his wife, Rita Alter, also dies at the age of 81. And so when Rita dies, people come into the house and they're gathering all of her things to sell to an antique store. So they come in, their nephew is the executor of their estate. Um, and so he allows antique, dealer, antique dealers to come in and go through the house and take what they want. He sells them. Um, what kind of house do they have? Was it like a fancy house in a tiny town or like a normal house? I would say it's somewhat fancy. The fanciest part of it is that it's on it's on twenty acres, so mm. it's only like twenty. It's it's a really big desert plot of land, and it's a really beautiful. I think it's beautiful. I watched some doc some YouTube documentaries, and there they show the house like the inside. I mean, the inside isn't mind blowing or anything. It's and it's not. It's like sort of a one story kind of like ranch style house. But, oh, okay. Yeah, it's really pretty. So they're going through the house, and the owner of the antique shop goes into their bedroom, 
and he looks behind the bedroom's door. So there's like a very normal door, and when the door is open, if you can imagine this, there's a painting behind it. Hmm. So when you close the door, you can see the painting. And this painting has kind of like dust and cobwebs on it. He realizes, well, he doesn't realize that it's this famous painting. He just takes it and he's like, oh, this is this is cool. We'll take this one. They pick out some African art, some other, like, I think there's only like one other painting that they like. They had a bunch of artwork in their house. And he also knows, notices that there's a screw in the baseboard. So there's a there's a really thick screw that keeps the door from hitting the painting. Oh, right. right. So it's kind of it acts as a stopper. Mm-hmm. And then on the window in their bedroom, there's a blackout curtain. So the way that the sun rises in their bedroom, it comes in really hard through one window that would shine basically where this painting is if they have their door closed to their bedroom. And there's a really thick blackout curtain to block the sun from essentially hitting this painting. So it's almost like it's very oddly protected, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, Um, why not just put it in another place in the house? Well, you would think, I mean, it's not a huge painting, but it's pretty sizable, and it's so oddly tucked behind this door and sort of protected in this way. But regardless, they don't really think much about it. So they get it into their antique shop, Mm. and they are just looking to sell it, And this guy comes in, just a regular customer comes in, and he looks at the painting and immediately starts thinking that this is a real de Kooning. It says de Kooning on the painting. So, you know, it's not like he had to figure out a ton of stuff there. But but he starts looking at it, and he thinks it's real. And then two other customers come into the antique shop. And this is the day after they put the stuff in the shop. Two other customers come in, and they start looking at it. And one person offers the antique dealer $200,000 for the painting. And that's when the dealer starts like, okay, wait, what's going on here? Like, is this a real de Kooning? So weird that they offer 200000 on the spot. Like, yeah. I mean, if I went through an antique store and I was like, holy shit, this is a de Kooning, I would be like, I'll buy this for $10 <laughs> to not like raise any suspicion. You're right. Yeah. And then go from there. That would be the smarter thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they didn't. So it started to kind of cause, they were recognizing pretty quick that, okay, something something's up here. This isn't just some artwork that came from an old dead lady's house. Mm-hmm. So they take the painting and they put it in the only place in the building that has a lock on the door, which is the bathroom. So they so they take this painting, they're like, okay, maybe maybe this is something real. Put it in the bathroom, lock the door. The antique shop owner then starts Googling, naturally. So this, and this is August 2017 mm-hmm. at this point. And this painting is a very well-known stolen painting at that point, especially in the area, especially in Arizona and New Mexico. They, they all know the story is, has become kind of infamous mm-hmm. at that time. So he Googles it and realizes like, holy shit, this is that painting. Or it's a really good painting copy of the painting Mm -hmm. so they call the curator at the university of arizona they call the fbi and they call the nephew who was the executor of this couple's estate the altars so everyone kind of comes together they end up figuring it figuring out that this is definitely the real painting the antique shop owners return it to the school and everyone's really happy about it Mm-hmm. 
it was such a kind of exciting moment. So there's a video of when the curator comes to when she's with a whole entourage, a whole posse that goes to this house to see the painting and it's it's a big like emotional moment it's very heartwarming so they get their painting back but then just like that yeah so that's great and story kind of ends there for a second right so they're like oh wonderful like this is great we have the painting back and then people start asking the question of like wait why did they have that painting right why did they like what were they doing with it and immediately the nephew is like well they must have bought it somewhere else like you know they they probably got it at another antique source and they were a couple who really i mean they liked art they were from new york they lived in new york before they moved to new mexico and they were sophisticated people so they probably just bought it off of someone else and what do they do for a living do you know so they are school teachers okay yeah school teachers are always the best <laughs> so so jerry adler Adler Alter. <laughs> Jerry Alter was a school teacher in New York City for he, he taught music. He was a professional musician and then taught music in New York. And he retired at the age of 48. So they met when they were young. They got married. They lived in New York for many years. He retired at 48. They move out to this tiny little town in New Mexico. He doesn't work anymore. And she, when they move there, she gets a job as a speech therapist. Hmm. And maybe she could teach us how to sound different. Oh, oh yeah. Hey, guys, um, we've heard some feedback that Veronica and I sound a whole lot alike. <laughs> and so just imagine us as a two-headed P.I. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we don't really know how to make our voices sound different. Yeah. I could, I could drag it down lower. And I'll go higher. Why, why did I start going higher? <laughs> I don't know. We obviously talk to each other a lot. Yeah, so we, so sorry. You guys are just going to have to. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> uh, so she's a speech therapist in New Mexico, and he's a retired school teacher. Yes. So they moved to Mexico in 1977. New Mexico. New Mexico, not Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> So she's working at the local school district, yet they have this really nice house, and they travel a lot. So this couple, it's kind of their thing. They're kind of known in the community as sophisticated New Yorker, you know, New York transplants, and they, they go to 140 countries. They've been to, you know, all, all continents, and they have, like, 130,000 slides in their house of all of their travels. So really exotic travels all over the place. And when they die, they have over a million dollars in their bank account. Who did they have children? They had two children. Okay. So it's kind of like... And yet the uh, nephew is the one who is in charge of their estate. Right. And the children wouldn't comment too much. There, I read one report where they talked to the son, who's I think his name was Joseph, and... Hey, they, Joseph. Uh, hey, Joseph. <laughs> he just kind of laughed about it and was talking about how it's the ugliest painting. <laughs> I guess he didn't like it. I don't know. It offered virtually no assistance in terms of what happened. Oh. Anyway, so what starts to, or the thing that really kicks off the big question marks in this story is that as the nephew is going through all the things, he finds this picture, a photograph. 
And it is a photograph of Jerry and Rita Alter spending Thanksgiving in Tucson, Arizona in 1985. Is it like they're sitting at a table with a turkey? Oh my God, it's an amazing photo. They're sitting at a dinner table with pumpkin pie right in front of them. They're eating their slices Just of the pun- two of them? pumpkin pie. I have a picture of it. You want me to show you? Yes, please. Okay, <laughs> look look at the, everyone. I've printed out a photograph because I'm a big nerd. I'm showing her like- this, and you can Google it. But they're just sitting at this table, straight, you know, their posture's perfect. And yeah, they look like such school teachers. Yeah. And so that picture shows up. And as they're looking at it, they notice that the couple looks kind of a lot like the police sketches that they did in 1985 when they asked the guard what the couple looked like. Except that um, this sketch. The guy has a mustache, so he put on a fake mustache. That's, yes, exactly. So that's the theory. So the, the police sketch, it's like, how would you describe that? The, so there's a sketch of a man and a woman, and it's mm. just one of those line drawing kind of cheesy police sketches. <laughs> but yeah. it's, the woman is wearing like granny glasses and a scarf around her hair. Mm-hmm. And, and he has glasses on and a weird mustache. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess he put on a little. They did. They had their disguises. Well, we don't know. We, I mean, so they just start looking at it, and so they're like, "This could easily be these this couple, right?" I mean, it's not so far off in terms of how they look. So they find this picture of the altars in Tucson for Thanksgiving in 1985. They start comparing it with the sketch, and they're like, "Oh boy, we might have some clues here." Mm-hmm. And there are some other things, mm. some other similarities. Like what? It also happens to be that Rita and Jerry had a two-door red little sports car. A rust-colored sports car. Yeah. So it's looking like they might have something to do with it. Okay, so the university police didn't find much evidence at the crime scene. So th- there's no fingerprints. There's nothing like that. There's just the eyewitness story. So the nephew tells cops that not only did they have a a red sports car, but they exclusively drove (laughs) red cars. They had Mm. one, they had one blue car in the course of their relationship. Hmm. So these things start to add up. But again, so in this story, there's no, no convictions have been made. No, nothing. No one's been caught for it yet. Mm -hmm. So this is still in, it's just kind of a conjecture Mm -hmm. but people it's kind of hard to come up with a different story as to how this painting got in their house and it wasn't them so there are people who still think they did not take it i mean there were people who thought they did not take it well the police can't really can't really make a definite decision they can't really make a they can't put cuffs on anybody or Mm. these dead people (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay so let's talk about why why would they have taken this painting? Because that's a question that pops up into my mind if when I'm thinking of this couple who are in their, you know, they're in their 30s. They and were, Okay, I just did the math. Oh, what were they? They had to be in their 50s because if he retired at the age of 48. Oh, yeah. In 1970-whatever. Okay. And then they were in Arizona. And they died in their 80s. In, and that was 32. Yeah, so there was 32 years between when the painting got stolen and when they died. Right. Okay. So they were in their 50s. Yes. Okay, so they are in their 50s. They're going to this museum, regardless of whether it's the altars or some other 
two other thieves. Mm -hmm. Why this painting? Right? So there are plenty of artworks in this museum. Mm -hmm. Why they would want to take this one is kind of mysterious. Hmm. Well, something I think might play into it is that the altars met the year that this painting was made. So they met in 1955. And this painting was done, like, over the course of 1954, 1955. Hmm. So they met. So they were in their 20s. Yes. You do the math. You're the math person. (laughs) I'm really bad at math, but (laughs) wait, that might not even be right. Um, So they're in their 20s. (laughs) Okay. So they met in their, well, we're just going Whatever. They're in their 20s. (laughs) So they met at a hotel in the Catskill Mountains. Hmm. And... Why did I make that noise? <laughs> <laughs> so he was playing clarinet in a jazz band. Cute. And pictures of them are really amazing. There's pictures of them everywhere because they had all these travel slides. So if you look at, if you Google pictures of them, so Rita is a mega babe. She's like this very classic looking person. She's always wearing like fur coats and really nice outfits and accessories and her hair looks really cool all the time. And she's got on these like, big giant sunglasses and she Hmm. just looks regal she's a regal looking lady (laughs) and jerry has some like he has some bookish swagger going on you'd probably think the best kind (laughs) (laughs) so yeah they they've they're a good looking couple i think here's one way to differentiate us everybody i like guys with bookish swagger (laughs) and sarah doesn't Well, you liked Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan. <laughs> you never even saw a picture of him, but you liked him because I he was a knew. watchmaker with a PhD. <laughs> it doesn't take much. <laughs> so they met in 1955, and then they got mar- married a year or two later. Mm. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, how romantic to take this painting as a kind of memento of the year that they met. Yeah. So maybe so there's that's kind of a connection. I think I your know. theory is correct. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> After they took it, they put it in their bedroom and it was only for them to see, right? Mm-hmm. So it had to be something sentimental. Because when they closed that bedroom door and it was just those two Did their bed have a view of it? Yes. Okay. Wow. And so there's something there's something odd about My it. My brain is going into weird places right now. <laughs> um, like a de Kooning fetish? Maybe. Well, they also, in their house, they had studies of de Kooning. It was, they were, I can't remember if they're prints or de Kooning studies that other artists did. I can't remember which one, but they had other de Kooning things. This wasn't the only de Kooning painting that, or de Kooning work of art that was in their house. So they had a thing Wait, for they de Kooning. owned other de Koonings? No, I was saying that they had oh, prints or studies sort of, okay. of uh, that artists did of de Kooning paintings. None of them were real de Kooning works of art. Mm-hmm. So they were, they might have been like prints. Right, from, okay. Like a museum or something. I think that they might have stolen it as a token of their love. And they for one another. And they were supposedly deeply in love. I mean, they, they traveled. Like it. They wrote love letters. So in, in their stuff, they found love letters from when they were younger all the way up until, like, old age. So they were still writing love letters to one another. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So one of the other amazing things about this story is, and another huge clue, I think it's a huge clue. A lot of other people think it's a huge clue. Huge clue. Huge clue. <laughs> um, is that, okay, so in addition to being a clarinetist 
and a is that a word i don't know it <laughs> works and a music teacher and a art lover jerry alter was also an author so he wrote books and him and rita in their love cocoon that they made during their relationship i don't know i just imagine them like living in this crazy world together where they like steal paintings and write books. they wrote three books together they write each other love letters from across the house (laughs) were they ever separated no 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 they were just living i mean they were living on 20 acres they were so isolated and together and going to all these exotic countries anyways they wrote three books together and so one of them is about traveling Another one is about poetry, and another one is like a twist on Aesop's fables. Wait, and they wrote those books together? Yes, yes. It's written by both of them. So there's one called The Cup and the Lip Exotic Tales. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I actually think his name is is on... It's only listed as him as the author. It doesn't say both. Of course. Right. That's Um, so de Kooning of them. (laughs) So one, it's it's short stories, Hmm. exotic tales. Um, That's what they call it. Yeah. (laughs) And one of the stories is called Eye of the Jaguar. And in this story, so these are fictional accounts of travel adventures, assuming they are, you know, sort of loosely based on Jerry and Rita's travels. So in Eye of the Jaguar, a grandmother and her granddaughter case a local museum and they go back to steal its prize exhibition, which is, it's an emerald, which I assume in the story is called the Eye of the Jaguar. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this 20 carat gemstone. And the grandmother and the granddaughter go and steal it and they leave behind no clues. And they, they get away with this grand heist from a museum. And so the whole story is about how, you know, the jewels kept several miles away from the museum and it's behind a secret panel in their home and one of the lines in this short story is this is this is verbatim and two pairs of eyes exclusively are there to see that's like the end of this story yeah i mean the evidence is profound i mean come on yeah he's clearly like it's a sort of it's a pseudo confession yeah he's writing a short story about how wonderful it is to steal something from a museum and just have it for like Two eyes to see. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty big clue. A huge clue. They did this. I can't <laughs> believe there are people who think they did not do it. Okay, so the, if they did, why would they not have cashed it in or done something with they, it? for sentiment, They stole it for sentimental reasons. So, yeah. They didn't want the money. They just wanted the de Kooning. Right. It was just for them. They wanted it in their bedroom. Mm-hmm. For their weird fetish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what they got. It worked out. So now the university has it back. So there's n- there's been no... It's such a happy ending. It, yeah, it's a really happy already ending. happy story. Except for... So there are a couple issues. So the painting was cut with a blade from the frame. So apparently when it got rolled up, it cracked the paint. So they cut it from the frame and then roll it up and, you know, wh- whomever it is, probably Jerry Alter, sticks it in his coat and it gets smushed. And so when they rolled it back out, the paint the painting has these really little lines, okay. little cracks. How noticeable are they? Are they like noticeable to just a person standing in front of it 
Or is it the kind of thing you notice when you have the little flashlight and the No, they're pretty brush? noticeable. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the so the museum has been trying to raise money to get it restored. Yeah. So and to put it back on so you can mount like so the painting was cut off, you can mount it back to its original stretcher because what it ha- what what had happened was <laughs> they restretched it. So whoever whoever stole the painting cut it out, put it on different stretcher bars so the painting was smaller. Mm-hmm. And then they framed it <clears throat> in this really crappy way. They just like screwed it into this cheap gold frame and oh. then hung it in their bedroom. God. It's a horrible, yeah, it's a, it's a horrible framing job and re-stretching job. So the conservationists will have to sort of reverse a lot of that mistreatment. Hell yeah. They're going to really have to deal with that. How do you deal with cracks? Oh, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked in a conservation lab, a paintings conservation lab, for about five years. And this is a very part-time gig. But I learned a lot. I remember when you had that gig. Yeah. It was super fun. But you can fix almost anything. I mean, it's really amazing what you can do. And cracks, you you can sort of fill them and repaint them in a very, very tedious way to bring it back to life and make it look like it didn't just never happened yeah so yeah you could you can definitely restore that as long as it's not super bad and then you can you can get it back on its original stretcher hopefully they'll do that and then the painting will look like new let's go see it when we go to tucson yes yeah here we come tucson (laughs) also the fbi is not talking about this case until it's resolved since it's an open case they're not saying anything about who they think done it (laughs) (laughs) is it just because it's it's so tidy like it's already clear who it was the fbi doesn't really have to do an investigation i mean apparently they are though but i think it's tidy to me it sounds tidy Mm -hmm. all arrows point to yeah i mean there's some crazy theories out there there are theories that it was actually jerry alter and his son so joseph the one who's laughing about uh, about what an ugly painting it was there are theories that one of them was dressed up as a woman and they did it, and Rita had nothing to do with it. Yeah, there, That's there's some things floating around. An interesting theory. Yeah. I'm going to go with it's the couple. I think so, too. I think it was a couple, and I think it was a very sentimental steal. Good for them. Yeah, I kind of I kind of like it. I like it, too. It's yeah. a sweet story. <laughs> oh, and another thing that's kind of ama- another sort of ripple effect of this art heist is that at the University of Arizona, they actually teach a course, so the art history professor teaches a course called, it's something about art plunder. So it's a a whole course on art plunder. And I really want to take that word very often. No, and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And she's interviewed in a couple of the news stories about this heist. What's her name? I can't remember. Her last name starts with an R. Is that helpful? Let's look her up. (laughs) Okay. But she basically she says that art theft is the fourth highest grossing crime outside of like human trafficking and drugs and there's another crime that's <laughs> high grossing. But the art theft is the fourth, which I, I found wow. kind of shocking. And she's a professor at the University of Arizona. Yeah, oh. Veronica's looking this up on her cellular telephone. Oh, Doctor Irene Romano. Yes. Yep, that's her. A shout out to, let's do more shout outs to these types of people. <laughs> yeah, shout out to you, Dr. Romano, for your art plunder class. We want to take it. Oh, let's interview her. Yeah. Season let's call two, her. we're doing interviews. Yes. We're going to call up Irene and see. Or what we're just she's actually going to gonna interview her in person in Tucson. 
Oh, yeah, that's a good reason to go to Tucson. Another one of our five reasons to go to Tucson. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah, so that's the story of Woman Ochre. I like it. Not Woman Okra. Woman Ochre. Ochre, like the color. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. This is Veronica saying, thank you, Sarah. Um, This podcast was brought to you by We Own This Town, based in Nashville, the King of Nashville podcast. (laughs) And our podcast theme song is by Patrick Dampier. And the artwork is by Saskia Colgess. And that's it. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Hello, I'm Veronica. Hi, I'm Sarah.